it is a wonderland for ecologists and tourists alike. It's just a beautiful, magical, ancient place where you feel like you're going to come around a corner and there literally is going to be a dinosaur. This is The Butterfly Effect, a podcast that shows the big impact a small action can do. Tali Orat is talking to those special people that make a difference with nature and trees. Welcome everyone to The Butterfly Effect. My name is Tali Orad. I'm your host and your butterfly here. My special guest today is Brandon Barber. Brandon is a lifelong environmentalist, starting with a degree in environmental studies from UC Santa Cruz. He cut his teeth with Greenpeace International on the Rainbow Warrior. Then he ran the Victorian State Office for Greenpeace Australia. Over the last 25 years, he has worked in both the social profit and for-profit sectors, from startups to S&P 500 companies to NGOs, large and small. In the last decade, Brandon has been involved with various environmental organizations as staff or as a consultant, served on the leadership team at both Rain- Rainforest Action Network and Amazon Watch, and has sat on several boards, always with a focus on the environment. Brandon joined the Rainforest Rescue Team in 2018. He is passionate about rainforest, committed to the natural world, and brings a wealth and breadth of experience to Rainforest Rescue as their CEO. Welcome, Brandon, to the Butterfly Effect. Wow, thanks. That's a that's that's a pretty robust intro. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. So you started your career with environmental studies, then yeah, worked at Greenpeace, all the stuff we just said. Did you always know that you want to be an environmentalist? You know, it's a funny story, that one. Um, I, when I was at school, in Santa Cruz, it was my freshman year, and I was fortunate enough to to live on campus and live in the dorms. And you know, everybody gets a roommate, so my roommate was Ted, and Ted and I had said goodnight, and you know, it was time to go to sleep. And yeah, sometimes it takes a while to quiet your mind. And I just got into that drop off point of okay, I'm going to sleep now, and it's happening. Mm-hmm. And I sat up in bed and I said out loud, "The planet." I've got to help the planet. (laughs) (laughs) And Ted said, shut up, go back to sleep. And the next day I went and changed my major. No, no kidding. Like true story. I went and changed my major from psychology um, because I wanted to understand why people were so interesting um, Mm -hmm. to environmental studies. And I think that's as close to a calling as I could imagine because it literally called me back into consciousness to say, you go change your major tomorrow and you focus on, on the environment. So I did. And, and that's what I've been doing. This is incredible. And what were you doing in the other organizations? Back when I worked for Greenpeace and when I got the job on the Rainbow Warrior, I swear I felt like I just scored a NASA position on a, on a spaceship. You know, it was like, wow, I get to be on the Rainbow Warrior. We're going to save the whales. You know, I was... God, I was yeah. like 22 years old. And anyway, it was um, it was very exciting and also very eye-opening and <clears throat> went from there to running the state office. And then I made Greenpeace's first website because this is back when the web was, you know, brand new and nobody knew what was going on. And I mm-hmm. said, hey, we need one of these and figured it out and 
popped up a website and it turned out none of the other offices or even international had put up their websites yet. So we beat them to it. And, um, and then I had a little bit of a side turn. I took some time out and wound up working in digital branding, uh, software development. This was all in the nineties in San Francisco and it was just too exciting not to be involved. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did that for, oh, I think seven or eight years and then wound up um, going to Rainforest Action Network. And at Rainforest Action Network, I worked with a remarkable team of really sophisticated activists. It was an incredible experience, part of their leadership team as the development director. And that literally means the guy who is all about fundraising. And mm-hmm. I hadn't ever thought about fundraising until this job came up. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds like fun. and it literally was it was one of the best times of my life growing this organization with these committed wonderful human beings and you know taking on bad corporate actors who were turning the planet into profit and plundering Mm -hmm. um yeah and that was that was a really wonderful experience i did that for five years and then um wound up at amazon watch um at amazon watch we focused on basically supporting indigenous peoples in South America's Amazon to help amplify their voices. Uh, It was Mm -hmm. a really heartful, beautiful organization. Does not step out in front, always leads from the back. And got to spend some amazing time, had some amazing adventures with amazing peoples down in in Peru's Amazon and Ecuador's Amazon, little time in Colombia. It's an incredible world where you know, once you get up above the canopy and you see it stretches forever, it was like being yeah. at sea. You know, if you've ever been at sea and you look out and you're like, wow, there is no land. <laughs> you get up, up yeah. above the canopy in the Amazon, you're like, wow, there's like only trees forever. Only green. Yeah. It's beautiful. Wow. Anyway, long story short, um, I, I, I saw an opportunity to bring my family back to Australia um, Rainforest Rescue was looking for someone to help grow the organization. So this all led to now, and this is Rainforest Rescue. It all let's led talk- to now, yes. Yes. So let's talk on what's Rainforest Rescue? What do you do there? Rainforest Rescue has been around since 1999, so it's 23 mm-hmm. years old. And it started with the idea of, uh, well, it actually started as part of another organization as a support wing for big scrub rainforest or big scrub uh land care group which is now big scrub conservancy and the original um leadership decided to focus on the dane tree the dane tree for those of you out there who don't know what the dane tree is i i wasn't as aware of how amazing the dane tree is at the time i knew it was old but i didn't know that it was technically the the world's longest continuously existing rainforest it's been around for over 180 million years so the oldest rainforest on the planet right so it's not a tree it's a forest for those who don't know yes so that's the dane tree yes yeah and it's it's got these beautiful connections to you know all the forests all over the world because originally we were all you know one continent and then Mm -hmm. when the continent split up the dane tree remained and parts of it split off up into Papua New Guinea. And you can find uh, examples of the plants that still exist in the Daintree, where, where the first original 
flowering plants emerge. You can find examples in other parts of the world, but only in the fossil records. Whereas in mm -hmm. the Dane tree, you can still find these literal dinosaur plants that are thriving and alive. And the Dane tree is Australia's largest rainforest, but it's certainly not the world's largest rainforest. It really only accounts for about 12,000 square kilometers, which is not that big. Mm -hmm. and, and it's Australia's most diverse, biodiverse rainforest. Mm -hmm. And it shares a border with the Great Barrier Reef. And there's a really beautiful relationship between the reef and the rainforest when it comes to the hydrogen cycle and the nutrient cycles. So it's a very special place just for those reasons. But on top of that, it's, it's home to so much of, of Australia's rare and threatened species. Mm -hmm. There's 77 rare threatened species of plants up there. Things like the trailing sundew or the yellow cyrus or the mangrove orchid. But then you've got all of these incredible animals that you will only find in the Dane tree. Like one, for example, Bennett's tree kangaroo a tree kangaroo. This is a kangaroo that lives in the tree. That's cool. <laughs> and, and the Bennett's tree kangaroo only exists within, I think it's a 20 square kilometer area. And that's wow. within the Dane tree. And otherwise yeah. you're not going to find it anywhere. You also find, even though you'll find the cassowary in other parts of the region, it's a very robust cassowary habitat. And if you haven't ever seen a cassowary, I hope you can. They are like yeah. living dinosaurs with the biggest clawed feet you never want to run into. <laughs> and then it's also home to, um, it's I think 30% of Australia's frogs, reptiles, uh, marsupial species, over 60%, I think 65% of Australia's bat and butterfly species are there. Mm -hmm. And oh, I think 18 or 19% of all Australia's bird species and over 12,000 insect species. Like it's, it is a wonderland for ecologists and tourists alike. It's just a beautiful, magical, ancient place where you feel like you're going to come around a corner and there literally is going to be a dinosaur. When I checked about the Daintree, I, uh, I heard it's the home of something called idiot fruit. Oh yeah, the idiospermum. Uh, they call it the idiot, idiot fruit because um, don't eat it. And it's I think they discovered white fellas discovered that idiot fruits weren't so great because it was making their cattle sick. But the cassowaries love the idiot fruit, and actually, one of their names that people have given them is the the rainforest gardener because they spread seeds everywhere through their droppings and the idiospermum. It's only propagated through the cassowaries moving it around. So they have a really mm. special relationship. <laughs> yeah. So the, the fact that I know about it is the it's the world's rarest and oldest flowering plant. Amazing. I know that story. Yeah. Yeah. No, cool. it's incredible. And there, I mean, honestly, it's an amazing place. So anyway, Rainforest Rescue said, "Hey, the government up in Queensland, uh, when the Daintree Rainforest was established as a World Heritage Area as well as a national park, a mm -hmm. significant amount of it was." left out of the deal. And that significant amount that was left out of the deal is in the lowland Dane tree. So between the rainforest proper and the, the ocean and the barrier reef, mm -hmm. this area was set aside for development and subdivided into, I think, 3,000 blocks. 
And it was like a land rush at first. And once that government left, and there's a whole backstory. I mean, there was the second forest um, protest in Australia took place in the Daintree to prevent the cutting of a road, which is now Cape Tribulation Road. And it'll take you all the way through to Cape Trib. But it was following on Australia's first forest protest, which was at Terrania Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those people heard that they were trying to cut a road through the Daintree. So they all went up there. And it's quite a fabulous story. And there's a beautiful book written about it called The Daintree Blockade. When Rainforest Rescue got into the picture, the original government that had done the subdivision um, was gone. And the new government had actually engaged in a buyback scheme. Once Rainforest Rescue got involved, I think there were over 300 properties that were still available for development after, I believe, 400 properties had been developed. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a little over, a little under half was still available. And if you look at the ecological values of the Dane tree and the deep time lineages to the rest of the world and how much we don't know about it and how much we can learn from it. And the fact that it is this habitat for these rare and threatened species, both floral and faunal, Mm -hmm. it's worth protecting. And it's a very interesting balance because, you know, there are over 400 properties north of the river now. That's the Dane tree river. And there's a community of people there. They live up there really proud of the Daintree and really love the environment. It's changed a lot over the years. You know, when it started, it was like people who were running away from society or they were ditching the Vietnam War or um, Mm -hmm. or were cattle people. And that demographic has shifted over the years. So now over the river, you find a lot of people who are there because they just really love the environment. And Rainforest Rescue fortunately enjoys a very good relationship with the community Um, you know, let me just finish on kind of the origin story. So Rainforest Rescue said, all right, look, we're going to do our own buyback. We'll raise money. We'll buy properties. We'll take the development rights off and we'll turn them into nature refuges. And we have very strict criteria for the Mm -hmm. properties that we purchase. They need to be of a certain level of quality in terms of intact habitat. So high Mm -hmm. conservation value rainforest, and it needs to be connected to the national park so that we're actually increasing the footprint of protected habitat that's contiguous. Um, We have five wildlife corridors that we've established. And within each of those corridors, we're piece by piece filling in the puzzles so that we're creating these contiguous complete entities as wildlife corridors. Mm -hmm. And a, a property came up through uh, friendships and life passages and we're actually at the moment raising funds to to buy the biggest of the properties we've ever we've ever done which is going to double the size of that wildlife corridor so that is an example of yay rainforest rescue is doing what it set out to do you know it's about protecting rainforest forever and then um, through through our our evolution rainforest rescues evolution we wound up being gifted a nursery and that little nursery is still going today. It produces 12,000 trees or so a year. And originally we were just using it to fill in, you know, driveways and house pads on properties that we bought so that we could restore them completely. But then we started taking on restoration projects on ex-agricultural land. So one of the projects was an old oil palm plantation. And these were decorative oil palms that were used to landscape Port Douglas, which is a uh, a destination point just south of the Dane Tree. It's a good jump off point for some of the Great Barrier Reef drive tri- dive trips and adventures. 
and you know it's just a fun town but it has this outrageous collection of massive palm trees lining the longest street this boulevard that goes forever to get to the town and they were all produced at this property up in the dane tree and um, rainforest rescue got it when it was for sale when back then we actually had to borrow money to buy it mm -hmm. and it had the wonderful name of lot 46 and lot 46 had dozens of truckloads of rubbish removed um, literally, I think almost 20 old car bodies. Like it was just covered wow. with rubbish and old yeah. oil pumps. And over the last, I think 12 years, um, we restored it. And a couple years ago, it received nature refuge status because it's of a high enough quality of, um, habitat that it qualifies and mm -hmm. the traditional owners of the region, the first nations people granted a new name to the property. So no longer is it lot 46. It's actually Garenji Bubu. And oh, that's cool. It is cool. <laughs> it means cassowary land. Yeah. So, so tell me, what's the difference between just planting and restoring any forest versus restoring a rainforest? Everybody who's in the restoration game has their preferred methodologies or their ideas about how you do it and how you do it right. We look mm -hmm. at it as how are we how are we going to have the most rapid rainforest canopy closure so that you mm -hmm. reduce the weed competition with the species that you've just planted. Mm -hmm. And you're also trying to create um, or mimic uh, a template, if you if you would, of what nature might do. So you have to use an array of species. We we produce over 120 different species and with those there are certain you know pioneer species and then secondaries and tertiaries so we plant in kind of a a radial um fashion and we do it with a spacing between the trees that is much closer than you would find in say your standard carbon projects or or yeah. reforestation projects mm -hmm. And that means that, for instance, a carbon project, and we'll just talk in hectares, a carbon project might do a thousand trees per hectare and rainforest rescue is going to do 6,500 to 7,000 trees per hectare. And, you know, that may seem like a lot of trees, but those trees are going to protect each other and they're going to grow more rapidly and more effectively together and fight off the weeds that particularly when you're restoring ex-agricultural land where you've got really poor soils and yet you've got all the joy of the physical environment. Um, mm -hmm. And then you've got, you know, a latent weed seed bank in there that you've got to fight as well. So anything grows in the Dane tree. It's one of those places where you can, you know, just put a stick in the ground and it will grow. Um, you can also watch the weeds grow. You were talking about um, you're looking for properties that are connected yeah if another plot you were talking about property 46 if that were not to be connected would you still get it and and then if not i'm just curious why if at the end we need to restore everything restoration versus protecting intact rainforest right so mm -hmm. if it's intact rainforest which is generally what we were predominantly what what we purchase and protect you want to make sure that that's, you know, got connectivity to the national park or established reserves that are connected to the national park, because it's all about providing contiguous habitat for the rare and threatened species of the Dane tree. Right. If we're doing restoration, 
the only criteria for that is that um, it backs onto the national park. Same thing. Like we're just trying to do the same thing. It's just going to take longer because we have to replace what was there originally. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't buy properties that have houses on it. Mm -hmm. In terms of, you know, what do we look for for in in terms of restorable sites? That's pretty much it. It just needs to have connectivity and, um, and a lot of trees. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And in terms of the soil, do you also restore the soil? Um, you know, through the, the planting of the, of the restoring the forest, it restores the soil. So yes. Um, but we don't do any kind of soil not actively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we will include, um, depending upon the time of year, we may put some Uh, organic water crystals in with the seedlings we'll put Mm -hmm. a little bit of an organic um, fertilizer um, just to kind of give it a boost but that's it it's it's really easy to grow stuff up there it's Mm -hmm. really hard to try to control it (laughs) yeah and you mentioned a little bit about the community and the people that live there are they involved in any of the restoration projects Yeah, we have um, in the last year, you know, I mentioned we've been growing and in the last year, we've also created monthly tree plantings. We used to only do them once a year and we do once a year have a large annual community tree planting where people come locals and people come from all over the country and people come from other parts of the world. And -hmm. we've had up to 125 people and we'll plant between 3,000 up to 4,000 trees in one go, which is a pretty good run for a morning. Yeah. And what is the biggest challenge? Um, For restoration, I'd say the biggest challenge is being on top of maintenance, you know, and the weeds. Like our team is out there cutting weeds down constantly. And the reason that we do the close plantings is so that we get a canopy closure rapidly so that we don't have to keep fighting the weeds. But um, yeah. I would say that, you know, weeds are the hardest. And then, of course, you've got to deal with feral pigs. Feral pigs are terrifying um, and ubiquitous everywhere. It seems like um, if it's natural environment in Australia, there's going to be pigs there. Australia has a terrible feral pig problem. Yeah, those are, those are the two big ones. Okay. Now, we talked about challenges. Um, so for me, it's a perfect segue to talk about natural disasters because <laughs> Australia was hit with crazy wildfires. Yeah. And I'm just curious if this affected your work in any way. You know, the wildfires uh, three years ago didn't affect us in the Daintree. Um, certainly affected staff who are in different parts of the country, depending um, mm-hmm. There was one time up in the Daintree, actually, I think it was three or four years ago, there was a fire, but it was only possible because it was in an area that had been disturbed by a cyclone. I think it was a cyclone from the 80s. So it was an area that had already been knocked down. So it didn't have that natural kind of buffering protection. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you talk about what are the biggest challenges. I think as the climate worsens. And as we see more wild weather and more extreme temperature variances, that's a problem, you know, and that's something that um, nobody knows. Nobody knows how bad it's going to get. And at the same time, you got to do something. (laughs) So, you know, our, our way of addressing that challenge is, you know, our little nursery that does 12,000 trees a year 
we're building a new nursery that's going to be done and in production by the end of the year. So by the end of December, we should be propagating plants there and then up into full production over basically a three-year, ex- we're going to slowly accelerate over three years. Um, and then over three years, we'll reach a max capacity of 150,000 trees a year. You know, the planet's burning. We have the capacity to plant trees, to grow trees, to maintain forest, and mm-hmm. we have the people to do it. So we decided that for us, in terms of climate, trees are the answer, and we wanted to do more of them. The The opportunities that we all have, you ask, you know, like, do locals get involved in the tree plantings? Yes. And the monthly tree plantings, you know, they're great. We do a thousand trees every month with a group of people who are all from the local area, including traditional owners. Um, and it's growing each month. We do that. And it's really cool. Um, but then you talk about, you know, how do you, how do you deal with, you know, the bigger picture things, you know, your, your focus is climate. Well, our focus is climate, but it's really, you know, what can we do to help mitigate the, the challenges that we're facing and that are going to increase. And, you know, everybody can plant trees. You don't need Mm -hmm. to have a nursery. Um, and there's, you know, not that many ways to plant trees. It's very simple stuff. One of the things that we're trying to get across, it's easy to plant trees. It's easy to propagate trees. It's easy to get trees. Um, plant a tree. And uh, and it's you, impactful. Yeah, and it's directly impactful. And there's nothing more, uh, well, it's wonderful to go and visit a forest that you actually started. Like you, you saw this cleared land that used to be sugarcane with the worst dirt in the world. It wasn't even soil yet. And over the years, this one site that we're working on, that is 15 hectares of ex-ag cane fields. It's really beautiful to see kind of this beautiful natural um, gradient from last year's planting to the original planting six, seven years ago. And, you know, mm-hmm. the planting six, seven, actually, God, that'd be eight, nine years ago now. Those trees <laughs> are significant. Like, though, that's a forest. And yeah. it's really dense because it's still, you know, in that sorting itself out phase. And it's on, you know, it's just doing great. It's not being impacted by weeds anymore. And it's a beautiful, rich habitat that is being frequented by the magnificent animals of the Daintree now. And that is cool. And anybody can do that wherever you are. You can plant plants, yeah. you can plant trees. Do you also work towards bringing back animals or it just happen naturally? Uh, the, the animals are, are, are doing their own thing. We don't, we don't do animals. We do encourage people to avoid harming animals. <laughs> I think the yeah. two biggest threats for cassowaries in the Daintree are cars and dogs. And, you know, we're always trying to find ways to help people slow down and appreciate this magnificent cathedral of nature that they're in. Uh, That's kind of the extent of it. Our our land manager is also very involved in different wildlife monitoring programs. And he's really keen on um, spotted tail quals and um, frogs, and the Daintree's got lots of both. Okay, now I want to go back to the beginning and the eureka moment with Ted, your roommate. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. What is one thing that you wish you had known back then 
that if you could go back and tell yourself, then you would have. Huh. God, I don't think I would have changed anything because it's just been such a rich journey. I mean, I'd give myself okay. some advice. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, what? Um, I think, you know, this is your, your general one, right? Patience. You know, incredible things can be achieved just by sticking it out and just by sticking to it. I have been blessed with the opportunity to work with some of the most wonderful people on the planet. And I've also worked at quite a few different organizations. And I think my record was five years, right? And that was at Rainforest <laughs> Network. And um, yeah, I just always had itchy feet. And now that I'm at Rainforest Rescue and, and we really are doing so well in terms of our capacity and being able to do more and, you know, people becoming part of, of our network. Um, I'm going to see this one through and it's, yeah, it feels like a real, it's, uh, what's the word? I mean, to say honor is, you know, it sounds a little cheesy, but it is an honor, you know, it is an honor to get to. An honor to serve mother earth. Yeah. Yes, it is. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's what we're into it for. I love it. What is your favorite tree? <laughs> you know, this is a funny one. So you may notice that even though I work in Australia for Rainforest Rescue, um, I'm from California and uh, I can't, I can't shake the accent, which is fine. Um, but <laughs> forever embedded in my soul is the redwood tree. You know, the redwood is, yeah, it's just a part of, of how I am connected to the earth. It's just a part of who I am. Those trees are, yeah, majestic, massive, ancient, you know, they, it's, it's a real palpable example of greater than me. <laughs> yeah. 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 So redwood trees, uh, quickly follows or closely followed by, um, you know, the Kwandong is a pretty awesome tree. We find those here in Australia's rainforests. And they get pretty big and they have beautiful root systems. Yeah, beautiful. And then, of course, the fig trees, like the really big ones, like the, the silver figs or the curtain figs, massive, beautiful trees. You know, you guys out there who are listening to this who've never been to Australia or coming to Australia are going to come back to Australia, make sure to come visit Australia's rainforests. You know, there are quite a few different places. You can find them in the Northern Rivers. You can find them in far north Queensland. Um, you can find them in Tasmania. They are some of the most remarkable forests on the planet. And I just am I'm awed by, by their complexity and their elegance whenever I'm in them. And I try to spend as much time as I can um, in the forests. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Brandon, for, for sharing your love to trees and nature and a dentry. Yeah, thank you. And thank you everyone for joining me today. We are all beautiful butterflies, each in his and her individual ways. I wanted to thank you for joining me today in this episode. I really appreciate you coming on this journey with me and I hope you can join me next time. And remember, it only takes a small action to make a big difference. Be a butterfly. And that's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. Please subscribe to hear more of our stories of change 